Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Clever Girls No Podcast, Cassidy. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you, Bola. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. And we are going to be talking about how you paid off $18,000 of debt within 10 months of graduating college, which is such a great accomplishment. Before we dive into how you did it and what you're doing now, please tell us who you are and what you do. Okay. So professionally, I am a freelance personal finance copywriter. So pretty much what that means is I create a lot of blog posts, articles, email sequences, and other pieces of content for personal finance platforms. And fun fact, I'm actually a writer for Clever Girl Finance. So Bull and I connected about a year ago, and I have been creating a few blog posts a month for the platform ever since. Personally, I am a mixed match of different things. I really love reading and hiking and exploring the Pacific Northwest, which is where I live. I'm originally from Georgia, so I have an immense love for fried chicken and in true millennial (laughs) fashion. I watch way too much TV. I have two cats and I will probably spend the rest of their days trying to really force them to love me. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Because cats are moody and funny like that. (laughs) I know they really are. Like they love you one second and then one second later, they're just like, please do not touch me. (laughs) But yes, Cassidy, you are a writer for Clever Girl Finance and you have created some awesome article. So for those of you who are listening, we update the Clever Girl Finance blog every single day. And Cassidy has written more than a few articles <laughs> writing for us for a year. And if you want to see her articles, just go on the blog and search Cassidy and her articles will come up and then you can click on her name and you can see her bio and also the link to all her other articles that she has written. So definitely more than a few. <laughs> but we appreciate the awesome content that you create for us. Thank you. So you had $18,000 of debt. Where did it come from? So all of my debt was from federal student loans. Uh And just to elaborate a little bit, when I graduated, I had two degrees under my belt. So I had an undergraduate degree in public relations and then a master's in business administration. $18,000 worth of debt is such a small amount for two degrees compared to what most women graduate with in the United States. This was kind of intentional. I tried to keep my student debt cost as low as possible. So just to give like a few things that I did just for anyone 
listening. The first thing was that I intentionally chose a public university over a private one. When I was in eighth grade, I found this private university called Berry College in Georgia, and it was my dream school all the way up until I graduated high school. And then I found out how expensive it was. And I was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) So I ended up going to a public university. I was also my high school's valedictorian. So In Georgia, they have what's called the Zell Miller Scholarship. I believe it's for every valedictorian or salutatorian, and it pays for all of your tuition up to 15 credit hours every semester. So for undergrad, really the only things I was responsible for was any tuition over 15 credit hours and then all of my fees, books, room, board, things like that. I also worked part-time all through college, actually had my very first on-campus job interview, my first day of class. So, you know, I rolled up to English 1101 in full business attire because I had a job (laughs) interview (laughs) right afterward. And I did get a job my first semester, freshman year of college, and I worked the whole way through. So always had at least three roommates. When I went to grad school, I got a graduate assistantship in exchange for reduced tuition. So I was very fortunate to only have $18,000 in student loan debt, but it still did not stop me from really wanting to pay it off. Yeah. And, you know, I love that you had this strategy to minimize the total amount of student debt that you would take on by, you know, working, applying for the programs that you applied for particularly picking a school that was going to cost you less, that is very important, you know, in terms of what your total debt is going to to be if you have to take student loans to go to, to college or to grad school. And I know sometimes people get caught up in, I really want to go to this particular school, but it's yeah. also important to objectively weigh the costs, even if you're already in the school, but you have a few semesters or a few years to go, it's still worth weighing the cost to determine, is there a way I can significantly reduce how much I pay to get the same quality of degree, but at a cheaper school. So that's really smart that you were able to do that. And so you come out with $18,000 of debt, as you mentioned, it's, it's a lot of money, but it's not as much as most other people have. Right. So Mm -hmm. if we look at it in the grand scale of student loan debt, it's a lot, but it's not that much in comparison why were you motivated to pay it off? It was just 18,000 in quotes, air quotes, just $18,000. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still a lot, but just 18,000. Why were you yeah. motivated to pay it off? Honestly, my desire to be debt-free stemmed from my childhood. So my parents have been divorced all of my life. They separated before I was born while my mom was pregnant. I pretty much grew up in two separate households and both of them struggled with money in different ways. So in one household, you know, there was a huge focus on spending money while you have it. And it led to that parent having to file bankruptcy due to consumer debt. And then Mm -hmm. I had another parent who wasn't, you know, taking on as much debt, but the, the saying was always, we only have $20 in the bank. Like we can't, you know, like everything was restricted and just like doing the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And I want to preface that by saying, I love both of my parents to death and they did the best they could with what they had. But I kind of learned from those examples and I saw how much they struggled. And then simultaneously, I had an aunt and uncle who I was close to. They didn't have any kids and they were very open with me from a very young age about good decisions they were making with their money. So 
for example, they would talk to me even as a middle schooler about how they were quote unquote paying themselves a car payment, even when they didn't have an auto loan so they could buy their next used vehicle in cash and not have to finance another vehicle. You know, when I was in high school, they were very open with me about how they were trying to pay off their mortgage early. So I had them as like a positive example of what to do. And I decided, you know, even as a high schooler that once I became an adult, I was going to do whatever I could to have a financial life that looked more like theirs. So I didn't have to have some of the same struggles that my parents had. That is so fantastic that you had the positive role models, despite, you know, what you were observing with your parents. And like you said, you love your parents, doesn't make them bad people, but sometimes our our family members, even ourselves are not perfect in every single aspect of life. Right. And sometimes we are not the role model for that thing that we're not perfect for, for other people. So that's really awesome that you had your aunt and uncle who helped to set the stage in your mind of what you wanted and did not want for yourself, especially when it came to getting motivated to get out of that debt that you had. Yeah. And that's really one thing I want to stress. Like I personally don't have any kids, so maybe you can shed light on this more than I can. But I think more than anything, what stuck with me the most in my situation with my aunt and uncle is just their openness to talk about money with me. So like for anyone listening, like even if you feel like, oh crap, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like if you just have those conversations with the children in your life, like they're smarter than you think. And they're going to, you know, really ingrain whatever knowledge you're trying to impart on them. And I think it will really stick with them. Yes, I I absolutely agree. I try to talk to my kids about money to the best of their understanding and in the best way I can explain for their age without overwhelming them. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's it's a little thing that I know that they remember, even if even if we're just talking in passing, because something will come up and they'll they'll say something about, yeah, well, I'm saving for this, but I have to put part of my money towards that. But I have to buy my socks this month. Right. And you're like, wow, they're actually paying attention. And they're observing me as I spend my money. So is mommy spending according to what she's telling us to do? They, they know this. So, and as they get older, right, they will be even more observant. So if you're a mom listening or you have young people in your life, it's really important to bring up the conversation around money. Even if you are a work in progress, even if you are getting your finances in order, you still have something to teach and to share and experiences to, you know, to share with the young people in your life as well. For sure. So Cassidy, do you mind sharing what your income was? Because you were able to pay off this $18,000 in 10 months. And that's basically $1,800 a month you were, you, were, you were paying. What was your income and what were the specific steps you, you made to pay off, to be able to pay that $1,800 a month? Okay. Yeah. So let me kind of back up and set the scene for you for a second. So I got married when I was 21 and a half, which is really young. (laughs) It was the summer between my junior and senior year of college. My husband had just graduated two months before we got married, and he had his first full-time job making $43,000 a year. I still worked part-time all throughout college, but honestly, I was bringing in like maybe $700 a month, right? It was something, but it wasn't, it wasn't a lot. So really for the first year of our marriage, we were living off of his income. We... 
we honestly weren't even really budgeting. Like we were breaking even every month. And I had this dusty old spreadsheet that I was like trying to use to keep track of our spending, but it wasn't really working because I was only looking at it at the end of the month after we had already spent all of our money. But for that first year, we were really just like, breaking even and living life and like thinking we were doing okay, but internally feeling like really stressed about money. And then fast forward about a year and a half later, I got my first full-time job as an academic advisor making $32,000 a year. And we made the conscious decision right before I got that job that we would intentionally not inflate our lifestyles, would continue to live off of his income so I could then take my income and use it to pay off our debt. So that's essentially what we did. Some specific steps that we took. First and foremost, we had to find a new budgeting method because my spreadsheet just like was not working at all. It was very reactive instead of like being proactive toward our spending. Mm -hmm. So I ended up finding You Need a Budget, which stands, you know, YNAB for short. We started using it. Fast forward to now, it's it's been like six years since we started this journey, and I still use YNAB every single day. We use it to track all of our spending. We use it to track our net worth and just to make sure that if we do go over budget in one specific area that we you know, cut back in another area so that we're not technically going over budget at the end of the month. So that was a really big one for us. Another thing that was just that we got really specific and mindful about our spending. So looking back, I think I may have went a little too extreme, but I adopted like what I would consider a hardcore minimalist lifestyle. Like I read Marie Kondo's life-changing magic of tidying up. And from that second on everything in my house, in my closet, in my life, I was like, if I have not used you in three months, you are out of here. Like (laughs) I do not need you anymore. So I got really big into like Poshmark and Facebook marketplace. And I would sell everything that I didn't think that I need. Like I remember I would go to grad school and my trunk would be like, loaded down with stuff because I'd be like meeting someone in the Walmart parking lot between (laughs) classes. So that was a really big thing. And I mean, you know, maybe it brought in like an extra $200 a month, maybe not even that much. I can't quite remember, but all of those little amounts added up. So So that was one thing that we did. We also got really big into meal prepping. So we would cook all of our meals on Sunday. We would make huge batches of like two or three meals. And that would be our lunch and our dinner, like all throughout the week. And then lastly, the biggest thing. So with all of those strategies, we were probably able to save like $1,500 a month to put toward Mm -hmm. my debt. But then the last really big thing we did was that we sold one of our vehicles. So when my husband and I got married, we both had the cars we had had since we were 16. But by this point in our like debt payoff journey, we were both working at the same university. We were both working eight to five. We were already driving to work together and coming back home together. So one of our cars was just pretty much sitting there. So we sold the car that I'd had since I was 16. It was worth about $3,000, but that was really what like pushed us and kind of wrapped up the whole paying off $18,000. And did your husband also have debt he was paying? He did not. He was fortunate enough to have scholarships and then parents who like helped him cover the cost of college. So he was just along for, for the journey of the debt that I brought into our relationship. So 
So that, that's pretty cool, you know, because when you really think about your income, your husband started out making 43000 By the time you take out taxes, let's just take out $10,000 from that. Oh. So he has 33000 left and you got a job with making $32,000 a few mm. months later. But then after taxes, you probably had about $24,000 left. So in total, you had about $57,000 a year after taxes which is about $4,700 a month. And then you're paying about a third or a little over a third of your income towards debt every month. And you're downsizing, you're selling things, you're selling your car, you're loading up your trunk to, to meet people at Walmart, to give them things so you can get some money. That's a lot, right? Putting one third of your income towards debt. And I bet there's so many other things that you could have done with that money <laughs> when yeah. you think about it. but. <laughs> It was worth the effort to pay it off because in 10 months, you were able to pay off the debt in its entirety. That is really, really incredible. And you mentioned that you had taken a minimalist approach to life, but did you ever feel tempted to just want to go out and just spend money during that period? I know 10 months is not that long, but while you're going through the motions of paying off debt, sometimes it can be you can kind of feel like all you're doing is paying off debt. You're selling things to pay debt. Your income is going towards paying debt. How did you manage just wanting to go out and spend money? Or did you even feel that way? So honestly, the urge to spend money wasn't as strong as I thought it would have been. And I think it's because during this whole process, I was also doing mindset work and trying to get to the root of like, okay, why did I feel the urge to spend all of this money, right? Because like Mm -hmm. consumerism is alive and well. So I really had to think about like, okay, whenever I have an urge to go shopping, is it because I'm stressed? Is it because I feel like I need something that society is telling me that I should need? Or is it because it's something that I truly want? And a lot of the times it wasn't something that I truly wanted. It was something I felt that I needed to fit in or something that I just wanted to buy to like make myself feel better. So really thinking through all of those things before every purchase helped kind of calm me down and be like, okay, I don't actually think that I want this thing. And then the feeling would fade. And then another thing that I did was just trying to focus on like cheaper or free things that I could then replace those impulses with. So like, I remember for my 23rd birthday, I treated myself to a coffee from my favorite coffee shop and I drove myself to the public library and I got my first library card as an adult. And I checked out like 10 books (laughs) and (laughs) I mean, you know, all the books were free, but I still felt like I was treating myself to like this new experience. So that's yeah, great. Just yeah, that's really things. great. There's just really doing mindset work. And I think it's something that it's not a one and done. It's something that we we constantly have to do because sometimes, you know, I'm incredible with money. And then there's sometimes where I feel like, you know what, Paul, you could have been a little better today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Money. And so that's really great. And, you know, a coffee and a free library card and checking out 10 books might not seem like a lot to gift yourself for a birthday. Cause a lot of people are like, I need to, you know, I'm turning 23, I'm turning 30, I'm turning 40. I'm going to give myself a big gift. But to you, that was meaningful. And sometimes those small actions can help you overcome an urge to spend big money. Right. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of, you just made me think of this when you said big gifts. Another thing we were very intentional about was not giving gifts. So, and maybe this is kind of taboo. I don't know, but like, I've never been a big gift giver or receiver and 
neither has my husband. Like our philosophy has just always been like, if we want something, we'll save up to buy it for ourselves within reason. So I kind of like set the expectations with my family ahead of time. And, you know, it was a little awkward, but just being <laughs> like, we're, we're not like, we're not going to be the couple who like rolls up at Christmas with like gifts for all the parents and gifts for all the siblings and gifts for all the nieces and nephews, because we have these financial goals and, you know, it, it just doesn't align. And some people are really passionate about that kind of thing. And if that's what brings them joy, then by all means, build that into your budget but it, it wasn't for us. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think the older I've gotten, I can be a big gift giver and I like to receive gifts. Well, I liked to receive gifts. Well, the older I've gotten, unless you're my husband or my kids, I don't want a gift because I find that my, I have everything I want at this point. Yeah. And 99% of the time when I get a gift, that's not food. Like if you didn't cook me something, <laughs> I really don't need it. <laughs> Yeah. I don't need Uh, it. (laughs) Yeah. Like it, it almost sounds like a cop out, but what I started to tell my parents is like, like, just give me the experience of like hanging out with you or like sharing a meal with you. Like that means more to me than any physical thing you can buy me. And that goes for like friends or really any relationship. Like give me the experience that I can hang on to you as a memory forever. I don't need the physical thing. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather you take me out to dinner. Let's go get ice cream. Let's go grab a coffee. Let's go for a walk. Yeah. To buy me a gift. <laughs> Let's have a game night at home. Exactly. I, yeah. One of my close friends, every single time she wants to get together, she's like, I know that you just want us to play like phase 10 at your house. Is that true? And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is sweets. Buy me a cake. Listen. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll be best friends forever. Cake. Yeah. Pastries. <laughs> Hey everyone, so I wanted to come on here really quickly to share some amazing news with you. My fourth book drops this summer on July 6th, 2022, and I am beyond excited. The book is titled Choosing to Prosper, Triumphing Over Adversity, Breaking Out of Comfort Zones, Achieving Your Life and Money Dreams. And it is different from my last three books in that it is very personal. However, it was an extremely important book for me to write. I talk about my imposter syndrome, my family and upbringing, my mental health challenges, my past career and relationship challenges, building resilience, building Clever Girl Finance as a business of impact, achieving my financial and personal dreams, and much more. And based on my experiences, I share ways in which women in general and women of color can overcome the challenges they face when it comes to finances, career, and business. I share how women can build successful careers and or profitable and flexible businesses depending on your chosen path. And I also share the strategies that help me achieve success and how you can leverage them in your life as well. My hope for the women who read this book is that you are challenged to be confident, to find your voice, and to realize the personal growth you desire for yourself, regardless of what's stacked against you. My new book, Choosing to Prosper, is available for pre-order today in audio, ebook, and physical book formats wherever you buy your books. I cannot wait for July 6th. Okay, let's get back to the episode. So Cassidy, you've now, you're well past that $18,000 of debt. You and your husband are debt-free. And how have you repurposed that money that you were putting towards your debt? So you had this $1,800 a month, which is a big amount of money when it comes to saving and investing. How did you repurpose the money? So after we paid off all of our debt, 
our focus shifted to building a six month emergency fund. Okay. And that took like maybe another year, maybe a little longer than that. But then after that, during that period, we did end up getting a new car. 2017 Prius. So, you know, I think our interest rate was like maybe 2.9%. Our monthly payments were like $300 a month, but still it was a form of debt. And I hated seeing that $300 go toward a car every month. While we were building up our emergency fund, we were also making extra payments toward our auto loan. We paid that off fairly quickly. But then now our huge focus is just investing any extra money we have. And right now we consistently invest like 40 to 60% of our income every month. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's through maxing out retirement accounts and then also like funneling whatever's left into our investment accounts. That's awesome. Since then, the other thing that you did mention prior to the recording is that you have since tripled, more than tripled your income from leaving your corporate job and now working for yourself. So how did you transition from your nine to five job into being your own business owner, your freelance writer, and how long did it take you to triple your income? Because I know this is something that a lot of people are thinking about now, especially in today's world with just people wanting to expand their income, but on their own terms, on their own schedule, and at the same time, also pursue their own passion. So how did you make that transition? How long did it take you to triple your income? Okay. So this is actually something I love talking about because I never in my wildest dreams imagined that I would work for myself or that, you know, I would be making at least $96,000 a year. So just to like back up and start from the beginning. As I mentioned earlier, my very first job out of graduate school was me working as an academic advisor, making $32,000 a year. I really loved my job. I loved the people that I worked with, but there was no career path at the university I worked at to work your way up and earn more. And around this same time, I was still living in Georgia while I had this job. My husband and I had this dream of moving out to the West Coast, living in the Pacific Northwest, and just like experiencing a different part of the country while we were young, while our families were still relatively healthy. So that, you know, is something that we wanted to do in the short term. So then the question for me became, while I'm working in this job, making $32,000 a year is what am I going to do when we move? Am I going to try to find another job in academic advising and maybe not, you know, earn that much more there? Or am I going to try to like break into some other career field? I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. One day I was scrolling through Instagram, as we tend to do. I saw this ad about copywriting and I had never even heard of the word copywriting, but, you know, I had a degree in public relations. I was like, I do like to write. So I started learning more about it and ended up finding a course that pretty much taught you how to build a copywriting business from scratch. So at this point in my life, I knew that in three months I was moving from Georgia to Seattle. I was quitting my job, whether I had no other prospects or what. So I was like, I'm really going to try to like make this freelance copywriting a thing. I was like, it seems doable. And honestly, at that point in time, my goal was if I could replace the $32,000 a year I was making as an academic advisor 
that would be a dream. I was like, best case scenario, I still earn the same amount of money, but I like have the freedom and flexibility to be my own boss. Now, people who are in the course are making like $5,000 and more a month. And I was like, my brain cannot even fathom making $5,000 a month on my own. I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get there, but like, I'm just going to take a chance on myself. So I bought this course. I treated it like an investment in myself, like a continuation of college for really like three months. I would sit down for an hour at night, do the course, do all the homework, do all the things, you know, to like build my website and portfolio and all this other stuff. Within six months, I bought the course in December of 2018. By May 2019, I'd replaced the like 2,600 and some change money I was making per month as an academic advisor within six months, which completely blew my mind. And then by September, which was just a few months later, I was making consistent 5k months. And then that whole next year, I was making consistent 7k months. Like it just kept growing and growing and growing. And I was able to triple my income from $32,000 to 96k in like two and a half years with freelance copywriting and it keep like it keeps growing and getting better. And honestly, I'm just so grateful because like I said, I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. I grew up in a family that made like $35,000 a year. So in my mind, like anything more than that was just like an obsessive amount of money, which that was like some more mindset work I had to do, right? To like kind of dig myself out of that scarcity mindset and be like, no, I do deserve to make more money. Like I can work smarter and not harder. I don't have to work as hard as my parents did. Those are also like all things that I kind of worked through. But yeah, that's pretty much how I did it. It's really no secret. I just found someone who had paved the way before me and kind of like, followed in their footsteps and took their suggestions. And it has since blossomed into a very lucrative career. That's so incredible. That is, that is really, really something to be proud of what you've been able to do and to be your own boss and a job that you had never heard about, but you enjoy doing copywriting, freelance writing. That's, that's really awesome. And, you know, one thing to highlight here is that you said you learned from somebody else's experiences who had paid the way and showcased how to do it in a course and I see so many people buying these books, buying these courses, Yeah, don't actually take the time, invest the time to follow the steps to execute and then gather their own learnings and then readjust in order to see the results. People mm-hmm. give up too quickly. You know, they read the book a few pages. They get into the course about 2% because it's uncomfortable. It's hard. It's time consuming. And then they, you don't see the results immediately, like the next day. And of course, there's also the social media pressure. Of, Look at me. I became a seven-figure business in two days. <laughs> I'm here reading this book and I'm only 1% of this course. It's definitely not going to work for me. But yeah. you just showcased, you followed through. And you were able mm-hmm. to structure your own business and adjust it according to how you wanted it to be. And in turn, because of that discomfort, because of that time investment, you are now able to triple your income. And it also means that by following this up on the course, you have to go out and find work. You have to pitch work. You have to network. You have to, to meet people. You and I met as a result of what you do, right? So mm-hmm. It's so incredible that you're able to accomplish that. But for those of you who are listening, it's a reminder that you have to invest the time. You have to invest the effort. You might have to get uncomfortable, but it will be worth it. Like who doesn't want to triple their income? 
<laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's like, honestly, what I want to hit, hit on though, is that that was not a goal I had in mind for myself when I started that journey. I thought mm. it was too audacious of a goal to have, you know? So yeah, like you don't have to go into something being like, well, if I don't make a million dollars in two days, and like, it's not going to be worth it. But also you brought up another good point. Like you and I have talked about this before, like course fatigue is real. There are so many courses online for everything, but like the ones that are truly going to make a difference in your life are not a get rich quick scheme. Like you yep. have to commit to it. You have to put in the hard work. You have to show up day in and day out and just trust the process and trust that the things that you're being taught are going to lead to whatever end goal you're trying to reach if you're willing to stick with it. Yes. You know, I, I dislike the marketing that leads with I made $50,000 in seven days by taking this course. (laughs) Not to say that it doesn't work, but I dislike that kind of marketing because it promotes the get rich quick idea. Mm -hmm. And I prefer, I hold more value to marketing that is going to tell me what I'm going to learn, how it's going to change me, and then show me the results that other people have had, right? In terms of what is the value that this, course brought to you. So for example, so-and-so was able to, I don't know, start a a writing business and get 50 clients and this, that, this, that, and this, which in turn led to her being able to make the $50,000 in X amount of time, right? Not just here's $50,000 that I made. (laughs) You can do it too by next week, Friday. So you also want to be mindful of getting caught up in those types of marketing, right? And look for the value instead. And then the other thing you talked about was just the mindset work. And this is something that I just want to highlight here because it's something we talk about a lot on this podcast and throughout Clever Girl Finances, adjusting your mindset and setting the intention to allow yourself to succeed. And this is something that is a work in progress. We all have to do it. It was you, Cassidy, believing that you could earn $5,000 a month. You're worthy of earning $5,000 a month. You can do better than your parents. It's letting go of that scarcity and lack mindset and allowing yourself to get adjusted to abundance. And I'll tell you that from personal experience, as you start to get adjusted to the abundance, right? that scarcity mindset is going to be even stronger. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's going to come even harder. Well, you are so lucky to make $10,000 a month. It's going to be even harder for you to make $20,000 a month. In fact, you can never make $20,000 a month. So it's something that you constantly have to work on. And it's not just about making money, right? Abundance, having an abundance mindset is in all aspects of your life. It's having an abundance of happiness. It's allowing yourself to have an abundance of peace of mind. It's allowing yourself to to feel abundance for other people, what your spouse, your partner can accomplish, what your children can accomplish. It's just having that overall abundance, right? And in being intentional intentional about the way you think about it so you don't allow that scarcity and lack mentality to take precedence because if you allow yourself, that's what will happen. And you don't want that. Yeah. 100%. For a second there, I was like, has Bola been in my head? Cause you were like, you're making 10 again. How are you going <laughs> to, it's impossible. And I'm just like, I feel that on a real deep level. <laughs> it's not impossible. You don't have to know all the answers, right? You just yeah. need to take the actions to get you there. Right. So before you were making 5k, you didn't know you were going to make five, how you were going to make 5k. You just knew I would like to make 5k. And then you started taking actions that led you to your 5k a month. 
right? So it's the yeah. same as like, you know, people who want to do cross country runs, people who want to lose massive amounts of weight, save massive amounts of money, pay off massive amounts of debt. You don't know the, you don't have the plan for every step you're going to take. Life is going to throw you a curveball every now and then, but you've set the intention and you've adjusted your mindset that you're going to figure this out no matter what. Yeah. And one of my favorite things too, is just that as humans, like we get the opportunity to grow and change like every single day that we're alive. So whenever I am facing a goal that seems really daunting, whether it's paying off debt or like breaking into this new career, I just remind myself that like the Cassidy of three months from now is going to be so much smarter and further along in this process than like the capacity of today. So like for today, I'm just going to trust this process. I'm going to do the 1%. I'm going to do the steps that I can and trust that I will get there over time. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) So, so Cassidy, for anyone who's listening to this, who's looking to make a similar transition as you did from, you know, your, your full-time job to working for yourself, where would you suggest that they start? What advice would you give them based on your own experience and everything that you have learned to being able to triple your income thus far? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, I mean, first I would just say, if you have an idea or a side hustle or a passion project, anything that you're interested in, like there's a really good chance that someone out there has done something similar. It may not be exactly what you want to do, but someone else has already begun to like make the mistakes and learn how to do it the right way. Don't be afraid to seek out that information. Like you don't have to struggle through the process alone, but to like I really do think that it's easier than ever to make money online today or in traditionally unconventional ways than it was, you know, pre-computer times. So, you know, if you want to break out of your corporate job or ditch your nine to five or whatever you want to do, I promise like it's possible. Like you can do it. You may not have all of the answers, but just start where you can. One of my favorite quotes is like, I'm probably not going to get it right, but it's like an ounce of action is better than a ton of thought. So it's like, you can sit there and like think and strategize about something all day long, but until you just take that tiny, like first step of action, like that's when real progress begins. I love that. Yeah. And I know that when people say learn from other people's experiences and they hear that you took a course, you're like, well, I don't have money for that. So I'm going to counter whoever is thinking that and say, well, you can go to your local library and pick up a book on so whatever your topic is. You don't have a local library close to you. You can't be bothered. You can go on YouTube and create a playlist and create your own course curriculum and learn from people's videos. On yeah, YouTube. that's yeah, that's YouTube. Yeah, YouTube is such a wealth of knowledge. And even people who have courses are producing so much free content. Like pretty much everything you need to know is in their free content if you just seek it out. So the difference between the free content, a lot of the free content and the paid content is access to structure, right? Mm -hmm. Which if you just give yourself some time and you leverage a playlist on YouTube, you can create your own format of structure, right? And create a curriculum for yourself until you are ready or you feel like you want to pay for a course, right? And sometimes paying for the course is a light under your butt to commit because you've spent the money and now you need to get your costs per dollar. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was so before I bought the copywriting course that I used to start my career, I I mean, it was a lot of money. So I was like, you're going to treat this like a college course. And in that light, it was actually pretty cheap, right? Because I mean, I just dropped $18,000 on two degrees. And in my mind, I was like, the only thing these two degrees got me was a job making $32,000 a year. I was like, what is Double happening? your debt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was like, if I can take this course and if I treat it like a college course and truly commit to it, and I invest in myself and it changes the trajectory of my career forever, then it's worth it. Absolutely. Well, Cassidy, thank you so much for coming on to share your story, your journey. Before you go, you have to tell everyone, what is your Clever Girl superpower? Okay. (laughs) So honestly, for like most of my personal finance journey, I would have told you that my superpower is frugality. But honestly, now I would say it's more mindful spending. And what I mean by that is the beginning of my personal finance journey, when I was really trying to pay off debt, I ruthlessly cut out everything, like even things that I love. And it wasn't sustainable, but it served a purpose at the time. And I knew it was going to be short-lived. But now, since I have adopted more of that abundance mindset, as you and I have talked about, you know, I feel like my superpower is more like mindful spending and allowing myself to splurge on things that truly bring me joy, whether it's vacations or good coffee or hiking gear, because I really love the outdoors or things for my house, because that's where I spend 90% of my time now. So yeah, just getting to the point where I splurge on things that matter and kind of let go of everything else. Yeah. And it's important to to have that balance, right? You can't deprive yourself because then you will spiral out of control eventually. So having that balance and doing things within reason, I think that's what all that's what mindful spending is all about. Yeah. One of my favorite Clever Girl Finance articles is the one on why you should have like fun money built into your budget. So shout out, go read it. I, I didn't write it. But anyway, that, that was like a brand new concept to me that I just kind of started thinking about like maybe three years ago. Like I remember in my original budget, I had, you know, maybe like $25 for like Cassidy's allowance. I even called it an allowance. I'm just like, how much of a scarcity mindset is that? Like you get $25 in allowance this month and that's it. But now it's more of operating from this. Hey, Cassidy has fun money in her budget and she can use it for whatever she wants. You know, it's just little changes like that, that are going to keep you motivated to keep working toward whatever financial goals you have. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Cassidy. And finally, finally, please tell everyone how they can keep in touch with you, how they can learn more about your services, where to find you. Yeah. So you can visit my website at CassidyHorton.com. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I don't really think LinkedIn has handles, but you know, just search for Cassidy Horton. The the little in part of my URL is Cassidy B. Horton. And then lastly, I'm on Instagram at Cassidy Horton Writes. Okay. And we'll be sure to include all of that in the show notes. And LinkedIn does have handles. Like I use the app on LinkedIn all the time because I'm on LinkedIn quite often. So if you go on and you type at Bola Shukumbi, you will see. (laughs) Really? Okay. Yes. (laughs) All right. I've got a lot to do. Okay. Sounds good. So we'll put all these in the show notes and thank you again for sharing. And thanks to our amazing listeners for tuning in. I hope you found this episode helpful and you got some amazing nuggets from Cassidy's story. Yeah. And I just want everyone to know that I am an open book. So if you have any follow-up questions, you know, just find me online somewhere and 
let me know and I would love to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cassidy. All right. Thank you, Bo. It's so great talking to you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.